Good morning. This is John Richardson speaking with you from Toronto, Canada. It is Monday morning, April the 17th, 2023. And I am continuing my ongoing discussion, exploration with Michigan. And uh, it occurs to me, April 17th, 2023, I think this would be the anniversary of Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms, isn't it? I believe so. Well, maybe that would be worth a few comments to uh, to get us started today, particularly given your legal background and your decision to do the PhD in law. So uh, tell me, Charter of Rights, a significant event in your life at all? Or? Uh, we'll start with Buju Mizukwan and Dago Makwan Dundem, Nation Dunji. And again, just introducing myself for all the spirits that are here with myself and uh, you down in Toronto. So how do we, and I've been wrestling with this as I delve into religion, right? I am a very spiritual person and active and and um, the basis of our laws, right, do stem from religious doctrine. doctrine. So Christianity has been the um focus i guess in western civilization and how does that relate when i believe in um a natural law or or spiritual law right how can we ensure that these laws are um paramount do you think that um I mean, let's start, you know, for a minute with, I thought I heard you say that the basis of the legal system in Western countries is sort of premised on Christianity. That's what you said, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, obviously that would be a huge problem, I think, for people who uh, you know, whose basic consciousness, life, purpose, and view of the world uh, is rooted in other in other religious assumptions, right? There are definitely inconsistencies, and uh, when I when I was doing my master's, thinking about my culture and, and my tradition, right? It's an oral, so I had to rely on written documentation by Jesuits by um, treaty commissioners, so agents of the crown, right? And so I would rely on their diaries and fur trade narratives and whatever written sources I could have. And um, how it was explained to me when those inconsistencies would come up was that I, I had a, a somebody down in McGill Law, a professor there, and he said, Janine, the research is right. The interpretation is wrong. So with that, how that is interpreted or how that is misinterpreted potentially, right, by humans with their skewed, either religious, um, you know, background or, or whatever it may be, that's what it comes down to. That's where the inconsistencies would arise. So with that, I, I try to take it with a grain of salt. The research is right. The interpretation is wrong. Okay. You know, it's interesting as we're, as I'm listening to you talk about this, I'm actually trying to pull up 
uh, you know, the actual the actual text of the charter. And um, <laughs> it's not coming up really, really easily here, but here we go. Okay, does the Charter of Rights say in sort of the preamble that Canada is founded on uh, some kind of religious assumptions anywhere? I thought it did, didn't it? It's, it's definitely embedded. I'm not sure where, but the Charter, you know, the purpose was to somehow strike a balance between this individual, collective, how do we coexist in this society, through a legislative means, right? So, all right, so the purpose of the charter is to provide limitations on what governments can do, all right? So that's the purpose of it. But the context clearly, clearly, uh, is in a Western liberal democracy, right? Yep. Okay. All right. I'm simply not finding it anywhere, but you're right. There's no question that it does, that it does assume this. So basically what we have, so, so we would start with the principle, I suppose that, all charters of rights should be understood, at least in theory, as a defensive mechanism against overreaching governments. Correct? Bearing in mind that a charter of rights is not the whole constitution of a country, right? It's, it's a part of a constitution that is designed to protect individuals from governments generally which are seen as a you know to presents to prevent sort of uh majority rule in any pro in inappropriate situations right i would add um just based on my culture tradition right so we believe we're we're self-determined peoples and so there is a recognition that we are a free sovereign individuals right that we have this Okay. You know, what, what's really interesting here is there's all this stuff that's coming up, but it's, it's all interpretive, right? It's not, you know, somehow or other, they don't want to talk about the text. Although, interestingly, uh, while we're having this discussion, I mean, I think we've got to acknowledge Section 35, right? To recognize and affirms the existing Aboriginal and treaty rights of Aboriginal people as Indian, Inuit, Mites, etc. Do you think the church fulfilled its promise in that respect? 
no. Um, unfortunately, case law, right? So then it comes down to, well, what does that mean? What does that one paragraph mean? And, and who understands that? That's when it gets really convoluted with judges making their own interpretations based on their own upbringing, which I'm not sure their background, but you can take any picture of the Supreme Court of Canada or Privy Council if we want to go way back, right? And have a gander at what kind of uh, indoctrination influence their perspective. You know, at the present time, if you look at the Supreme Court of the United States, which has been in the news recently, I think I'm right in saying that six of the nine justices are, are identified as being Roman Catholics. Do you think that such a critical mass of judges on the Supreme Court of any country. Uh, do you think it's appropriate for such a, a high percentage of them to be any one particular religion? No, and, th and that's why we, you know, find ourselves in this state is it's been the opportunities that have existed have been facilitated through friends of family through through meetings at churches right through this networking through this organization that others of other denominations sex beliefs don't have those opportunities or access to and without having a range of perspectives it's very very limited in interpretation and application to the broad mass of the entire population. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you've got a situation where, I mean, let's imagine for a minute that a majority of the judges, regardless of religion, you know, are sort of minimally upper middle class people uh, who've always been a part of the majority. And I was having a discussion with somebody a while ago. It was very interesting. What he said to me was, well, imagine that you have a picture of a, uh, a table with a candle on it. Okay, and the candle's burning. And you show that picture to two different groups of people. And what he said was interesting was that if you show the picture to sort of a member of, you know, sort of the, the majority, the dominant culture, what have you, many of them interpreted the picture to mean, uh, oh, my God, you know, we're going to have a candlelight dinner. You, sh you show the same picture to people who are not in that majority and of other concerns, and the answer was, they couldn't pay the electricity bill. So, you know, I think that's one of many fascinating examples of how the most mundane day-to-day -day things can be interpreted so differently based on 
obviously individual circumstances, but I think also immutable characteristics. So, you know, I have evolved in my life, um, and I emphasize that this has been an evolution for me. You know, finally understood how, you know, people from different backgrounds, you know, can absolutely see the world so differently, right? I mean, you know, there are, you know, all these multiple interpretations. And then we have, you know, this, so we have this charter of rights, which I think was a good idea generally. But I guess as the, you know, the, the question is, even the charter of rights is going to fulfill its promise in varying degrees, depending on whether you're, you know, a member of sort of the, dominant majority group or whether you're kind of outside that right the dominant decision-making group is what i would say dominant decision-making group sure you know and i mean we've talked about as mundane as this may sound you know your own experience uh you know trying trying to get into politics i think in one of our conversations you know, you made the point that you were not able to vote in, I can't remember the exact circumstance, but some specific election that had an impact on, on your life, right? I actually couldn't run for a uh, municipal. You could not run? Yeah, I ran in every election, including First Nation within that year. And I was not permitted legally to run in the municipal election, which... As you know, like mayor and council are, I equate them to be uh, the sheriff, right? So back in the day, there was one person in town who who controlled everything. Who, well, yeah, who clearly, the- a, clearly a much bigger impact on your life than, uh, you know, a lot of these more removed yeah. sorts of things, right? So, I mean, that's, so, I mean, how, I remember asking you at the time, like, how is this possible? Doesn't the Charter of Rights guarantee that you ought to have that right to run. I mean, and I can't remember where that conversation went exactly, but I think the answer is probably no, because I think the charter only applies to, you know, federal and provincial legislatures, although I may be wrong. Is that your understanding of this? I don't remember where we went with it, but it's clearly a flawed system. If at a local governance level, there is legally barred representation in other words you're legally barred from running in the election that matters the most to you on a day-to-day exactly exactly and and you know those seats the mayor seat is an automatic seat on the police services board under the legislation unbelievable Right. right so like these are really heavy implications I, like you, you know, I sit here, you know, you put it this way, and I wonder, like, how is this even possible, right? You know, in 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 two thousand and twenty three, in a country that you know claims to be, well, you know, at least part of the club of you know what liberal Western democracies, what have you, and reconcile that with the section thirty five you just read. Well, give it a try. How do you reconcile? Can it be reconciled? 
I believe the judicial inter interpretation would justify. Yeah, but look, you and I both know that law is just bullshit, right? You know, I mean, over the years, I've come to see that the results usually have nothing to do with the law. You know, and, and everything to do with other circumstances. I mean, I'm going to, let me ask you point blank. I mean, do you equate a legal decision with a, a right and just decision as presumptively to you? I've actually started um, educating my community and I had a conversation with a grandmother last night and I said, look, we're not calling it the justice system no longer. It's Canadian legal system. This is what it is. It's the Canadian legal system. There's no justice. Stop this. Stop this rhetoric. Okay. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say there's no justice, but I would say there's no presumption of justice. They might inadvertently get it right sometimes. Well, I, I furthered with a teaching that I received about justice, okay? And so justice in our in our uh, community, I really like this wording, so I'm going to try to get it right. Justice is a healing process we all must go through. So when I reflected upon that teaching of justice as a healing, a collective healing process, that really put things into perspective for me. Well, you know, it is certainly aspirational. Okay, justice is, you would agree with that, I presume. Justice is, is aspirational. And that I think that it would be reasonable to view a healing process as also aspirational. Yes. All right. Now, I want to ask you a question here, okay? You are the perfect person to bring a challenge to the rule that you can't run in these municipal elections. I mean, honestly, you are the perfect person. Would you consider that? I, I always consider what, you know, creators placed in my path. And and you're right, I would be um, the prime. There is nobody better. There just isn't. I do agree with you on that. I feel that the, the influence, meaning would public support this? I don't know. Like, would the common person agree that this is unjust, right? Well, more than unjust, that, you know, that it violates the, you know, the purpose and the intent of the, uh, you know, I suppose, of the Charter of Rights. Well, I don't know. I'm a pretty common person. I support you. You're an educated person, too, though. <laughs> and, and you know, getting to a, what's a, what's a democracy? Is that when you, you can't have Indians sitting at local governance, right? 
That's like, this is totally insane. I mean, you know, it is so insane that it rises to the level of probably most people think you're making it up. Yeah, I agree, because I fit in such a nuanced category that's the legal realm. And I'm obviously quite passionate and have made it my life cause to open those doors, right, that are shut to me. So I, I do kind of seek it out. But I am committed. <laughs> I have shown up. I have, you know, vested and also been educated myself to qualify to be considered for public office to hold those, you know, positions. I wouldn't put it that way. I think that you should just put it that you can't be excluded because of your status. You know, otherwise. But, you know, I, I tell you, I'm amazed to hear this, okay? I'm absolutely amazed. And this, I think, under you know, I think shows you a big part of the problem, right? That, you know, so you've got, uh, you know, this Charter of Rights, which, by the way, okay, uh, you, know, one, you know, you're a lot younger than I am, so you probably, you weren't even alive, were you? In 1982? I don't know. <laughs> Just coming <laughs> on the way. Well, I mean, I, I remember very, very clearly. I mean, this was a, a huge issue. And, you know, if you were going to back some of the newspapers at the time, I mean, there were a lot of people who were really hostile to the idea of Canadians having rights. I mean, it was it was simply unbelievable. I mean, you know, you ask yourself, well, how in the world... Well, I mean, I can understand if you were a government official or a police chief or, you know, somebody sort of of that ilk, right? I can understand why that kind of person might oppose people having rights. I mean, you know, it sort of gets in the way of what they're trying to do, right? But what I can't understand is how, you know, any average sort of normal person trying to make, you know, live their life could be opposed to the idea of people having rights, but there were. And they made all kinds of, you know, absolutely ridiculous things. I remember one group was saying, well, you know, we don't want to be like Americans. You know, Americans have rights, you know, which I, I which I actually don't really think is true. But I mean, so much of this is sort of, you know, the mythology of this stuff. But part of the mythology is that, you know, having a charter of rights and being sort of an enlightened Western liberal democracy in 2023 means that we have exhausted, you know, all these forms of, you know, historical discrimination and gross injustices, making it hard to believe that these things are alive and well. Which probably you know, allows a certain group of people to say, well, uh, you know, I mean, maybe that's technically true, but this is sort of extremism and, you know, this doesn't really apply, and you know, which is, I, I think, a big part of the problem as well. Can I ask you, did you actually, when you were wanting to run municipally and you were barred from this, did you actually, like, go through the process of whatever you have to do, filling out a form or announcing your candidacy or whatever the requirements are. Did you do that or did you just look no. at it and say, I can't do this? 
Well, I was approached to run because I did run federally. I ran provincially. I ran in my first nation all within a one year time period. Like it was election, election, election. Right. So when the municipal came up, I was approached. Will you? Could you please? Will you? Right. And I explained to the lawyer who approached me, who is, you know, very um, passionate about local Kenora issues and explained this provision. I explained, you know, what the issue was. And so he too couldn't quite believe or understand. So he did some digging into it. And at the end of it, um, with his, you know, inquiries, we both decided to not pursue it because legally I wasn't able to. So I'm not sure if he just went to another candidate or, you know what I mean? But yeah, we did look into it. Well, I think that I think the next time, you know, you, you need to fill out the form, right? Because you need to set the predicate, you know, to be able to, uh, you know, bring a legal action if necessary on this. I did consider it. And I felt that uh, what um, the damage, right, of because people also I had a big I was a big target at that time, too, right? <laughs> Making my intentions known, changing status quo. The powers that be were keeping a very close eye on me. And I really felt that being tossed out of City Hall was, when I didn't have the support behind to launch the challenge was going to be in my favor. That's what they wanted. They wanted to discredit my reputation, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I certainly understand that, you know, these are very difficult challenges to take on. And even, even if the injustice and discrimination is clear, it doesn't make it easy. I yeah. did actually, yeah, I did approach other Indigenous women, nas like nationally, right? It's across Canada. One day, here's the election, Right. And so I really thought that maybe some of these other women who are passionate about these issues, I wanted them to get um, rebuffed and not me literally dragged out of city hall by police because, you know, the powers that be had flagged me. <laughs> well, okay. So, I mean, at a bare minimum, okay, at a bare minimum, uh, I mean, you're describing a situation that, is clear, convincing proof of ongoing legacy discrimination against minority groups. And, you know, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, okay? You can't change. It takes a long time to change people. And so, you know... Unfortunately, you have to go through life, I think, you know, well, you know, you can't necessarily blame people for what they don't know they don't know sort of thing. I mean, you know, otherwise you just, uh, you know, self-destruct, you know, in anger and, and frustration and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think but that would also... seem to me that what the Charter of Rights has done even if it hasn't, you know, even if it hasn't changed as much as, you know, perhaps we all in different circumstances might like, has created an opportunity 
to force courts to look at this stuff that that did not exist prior to the Charter of Rights. Mm-hmm. It's you know it's always been fascinating to me that um, in Western democracies, and I think particularly countries that come from sort of a, a British common law tradition, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, what have you. People operate under this assumption that, you know, because we live in a democracy, that, you know, all these sorts of rights go along with it. And nothing could be further from the truth, right? I mean, all a democracy is, well, what, I don't know what it is, okay? I mean, you know, I think a lot of people think democracy just means that you, you have a right to vote which has hardly anything to do with it at all. Uh, you know, I mean, having a right to vote if there's no candidates doesn't mean very much, does it? Okay, or in your case, you know, not being able to be a candidate, you know, is, is a more important determinant. But but all democracy does is it's just a statement of how the oppressive government, function of government, uh, it's organized, right? You know, who, you know, who is it that makes the decisions? Not whether these decisions uh, are based on any particular principles, or more importantly, not whether there are any prohibitions on what governments can do. So, you know, in Canada, prior to the Charter of Rights, there was, of course, you know, the Bill of Rights, and and that was, you know, at best an interpretive thing. But you know, during my years of law school, what constitutional law in Canada was about was based on the principle that there was basically nothing that government couldn't do. It was only a division of powers issue. You know, which level of government had the right to do this horrible thing, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, a lot of people... Well, I think that most people do not do not see it that way. And, and and I think that the damage here is this, you know, this sort of assumption that, that equates democracy with, you know, justice, fairness and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think you're absolutely right when you say Canada has a legal system and not a justice system, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so difficult for, you know, the average person to to actually use this apparatus, you know, Mm -hmm. courts and stuff. But, you know, maybe what you do is you, you start, you know, you create something called, um, uh, you know, the how to interpret the charter of rights Institute. Because, like, obviously, what is happening here, and this is not just Canada, it's it's everywhere, right? What is happening is that the whole legal system, the judicial apparatus, is obviously interpreting these kinds of things uh, 
mm-hmm. you know, in terms of how they see the world, and they can easily see themselves as being fair and just. When, you know, in fact, the opposite can be true. For you know, for example, you know, so many people's interpretation of uh, uh, of fairness is just, you know, not what the laws are, but whether the laws applied equally to everybody, right? So it's sort of like, you know, in 17th century France, it's that phrase, the law and its majestic equality prohibited both the rich and the poor from sleeping on the park bench, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, it's only the poor who have to sleep on the park bench. But then it goes back to, you know, in the early years of the the interpretation of the charter and, and you know as imperfect as may be as flaws it may be i think that the the earlier years of the dixon that time brian dixon was the chief justice of canada you know were really were really incredible years i mean you know it could have gone any way at all but i mean it was rolled out in a way that generally you know trying to give you know real recognition and substance to individual rights. And one of, uh, you know, the most interesting, and, and so much of the, the wisdom and the decisions came from, you know, footnotes and things like that. And I think it was in one of Dixon's earlier decisions, possibly the Big M drug mark case, where he says, you know, the interest of equality, you know, if equality is a, va- is a value that you want to protect, the interest of equality may require differentiation treatment. In other words, you know, the same law applied to everybody absolutely creates inequality, right? Yes, absolutely. And then, you know, I mean, since it's Charter Anniversary Day, uh, I mean, these were, you know, these were just fascinating years uh, in development of the charter. And, um, I mean, let me ask you a question. So, you know, you've done all these years of law school and your master's and, you know, you probably, you know, read hundreds, if not even thousands of, you know, legal decisions on that. I mean, what are your thoughts on who do you think some of Canada's, you know, best, best Supreme court judges over the years? I mean, do, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, for example, if you see that a majority is written by such and such a person, do you presumably think, oh, my God, here we go again? Or do you think, wow, this might be worth? My thoughts would probably be surprising. So I, I typically, like, I won't name names, but I actually have found through all my research, right, because I am I see patterns that arise, and it's not what you expect, so when you see, and I have seen this, people um, platforming, uh, sorry, Ruth Gator, right? The Sorry, I'm getting little notifications here um, in this in America. I see I'm even forgetting her name. Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Yes. So people who platform that are now realizing the error of their ways. She heavily made decisions that were against indigenous people, their interpretation and restricted their rights, right? So my thoughts are actually not what you expect. When I am seeking these decisions, I actually find more support or more alignment 
with an indigenous worldview where you least expect it in the in the little dissent, right? Those comments there are more validating than the the mainstream judges that are promoted or are seen to be leaning a certain way. That's not the case at all. Well, when you get to these, you know, Supreme Court decisions in any country, would you agree with me if I were to say dissents matter? Yes, absolutely. That's where I found the support. Oh, they got it. Oh, they understood it. Oh, they interpreted that. And I'm not sure what was going on in their family background, you know, to lead to that groundbreaking movement that I saw, that shift, right? But I, I definitely obviously appreciate it. And and that's where it's found, not in the typical or the the view that a certain person was in a certain category or spectrum. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there are certain judges that, you know, are probably going to be more, you know, more important sort of after their death than while they were on the court. But I've often, uh, you know, I was, I, I really uh, was and still am a great, a great fan of the Dixon court. But I also think that, and I'd be interested in, in your reaction to this thought I have, that Justice Bertha Wilson, 50, 80 years from now, may be regarded as as Canada's best and most influential judge. Do you have any thoughts on that? I agree that it would come post, right? That it's not understood by the masses at this time, at this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, she was an absolutely, absolutely brilliant, brilliant judge. Well, it's interesting stuff. I mean, you know, it's pretty obvious that without a court to interpret what these charters mean, they really don't mean anything at all, I guess, right? More your experience going through law school, you know, so I mean, I... I assume you had to take one or two courses at least in constitutional law, right? Mm -hmm. What was the attitude of the, you know, your your teachers on that attitude towards the charter? I mean, I guess the question I'm asking is, do you get the impression that a lot of people sort of see the charter as just another statute? And then there are others who, you know, I think correctly understand at least the intent of these charters to, you know, be to impose serious limitations on what governments can do. Yeah, and it's a very small, it's almost like, um, I don't know, I don't know how to equate it, but like a, a gaming, right? So we see people who like gaming, and it's a very like subsect of... Uh, fangirling over some charter issues so there's definitely that I definitely had some professors who really um really enjoyed and and some colleagues still today who will only practice and really have their practice restricted 
to what they enjoy and that is what they enjoy so yeah well bottom line though is that you know to get back to sort of where we started with this that um you know your view which is i think correct is that you know the charter has not fulfilled its promise for indigenous peoples correct correct and there's a lot of work to be done mm -hmm. yes which brings me back to you and your phd so what's what's happening with with that you're still on on track to do this yeah i've been doing more research so getting back into that school mode and first thing i did was dust off my grades i was like i don't even know if i can qualify so i just letting you and everyone else know i i do or i should <laughs> I had a 3.63 finishing my master's. So that should get me into the PhD program of my choice. Three out of what? Four? Four, yeah. Well, that sounds great to me. Yeah, that was a relief because I had no clue I <laughs> what my grades were. Well, that's probably why you had high grades. Uh, that's true. Don't keep that your focus. <laughs> yeah, you weren't paying attention to it. I mean, you know, I was always a lousy student. And, you know, my view was that, you know, you, you, would, you wouldn't want to get one point higher than you needed to get to the next level. So, you know, if a 75 out of 100 is what's needed, I would have been upset if I ever got a 76. But I don't think I ever got a 76. Conservation was your goal. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, I had a very functional view towards grades, you know. That you just need a certain amount and anything else was probably not worth it. Mm. Well, you know, you've got here, you got a lot of experience, a lot of understanding and a lot of context, I think to, you know, really, really apply your skills, perceptions in this area. And I think starting with, I think you've got to run for, you know, city council. I'll dispute the results. Let's start. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think there is some more um, homework on that sense, too, where even this lawyer, that uh, very politically astute, educated, right, person couldn't really get behind me. So I think I do need to do a little bit more work in that regard. Well, okay. So you do what you need to do. Yes. All right. Well, this has been a great discussion and I thank you for it. And we'll, I suppose, call it for today and pick up next time, but any concluding thoughts and comments on this? I, I hadn't realized that we were going to have a charter anniversary discussion today but i think it was a good discussion since it is the anniversary of the charter yeah that charter uh interpretation institute that is something i'm flagging so i should have a notepad here beside me <laughs> well no, i think that i think that's a great idea i really do i do too so miigwetch for that all right all right um uh, well any further thoughts or do we pick it up next time? Uh, we'll see you next week. All right. Great. Thanks. Great discussion.